Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Welcome to episode 11. 11 episodes. Here we are. Is it 11? It's 11. Awesome. Yep. Okay, so we have talked about a number of things in the last several days, and it seems to be just ongoing discussions and conversations that we have that we're like, oh, let's let's talk about this on the pod. Let's let's talk about this and that. So we've written down some things, but there's um, so many items really to discuss, but we'll try to siphon it down or we'll filter, fil- filter through, okay, and go through in a maybe a categorical way. But anyway, so you, one of the things that you have discussed or we've been talking about is there's really only two different kinds of people. There's those that know the Lord and those that do not. The seed of God and the seed of Satan. So where, where, where do we find that? Where do we find that? Genesis. Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Almost over there. Okay. Because it's easy to feel like people are in multiple categories or in lots of different places. Like, oh, well, I think they know and love God, but yeah, there isn't fruit in their life. They probably do. What were we listening to yesterday from Andrea Schwartz from Calcedon? Who's going to be on the pod here? Next week, which hopefully two weeks from now we'll have that episode released. We're going to be asking her some, hopefully some really great questions and uh, really looking forward to that, our time with her. But she was talking about Christians that essentially are compromised, not abiding by the word of God, they're apostate, right? Right. And she said, you know, you can't judge by if the Holy Spirit is with them or not, like that is the Lord's, but by the fruit of their life. They might be very disobedient. They might be apostate, um, not living up to their confession. Yeah. Um, in need of repentance. Yeah. So. And but, we can and we can look at the fruit. We're not we're not God. We're not in the place of God to say, well, thus saith me that so and so is not a believer. But we can look at the fruit of someone else's right, life. And we're and, called to. And we're, we're called to do that. To. But yeah. essentially, people are either only of the seed of God or the seed of Satan. So, like where. We might not have a perfect, clear, 100% on where everyone's heart is. Those are really the only two places they can be in. Yeah. His or not his. Right. For him or against him. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like I've always, I've known that for forever. um, But I, I think that it came alive reading a book by Doug Wilson when he essentially elaborated on there are no there is no middle ground there is only those that know the lord and their seeds of god 
or they're the seed of Satan. And we get that directly from Genesis chapter 3. So after man falls in the garden, um, and what is it? Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the snake, or the serpent, and... Yeah, Adam kind of blames Eve and God. It's this woman you put here. Right. You gave to me. So in verse 15 it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that's God giving the curse to the serpent. Yeah. For the deception. Yeah. So there's two different seeds. He'll put in, and he'll put it. So that's the thing. That's the other thing too, is that there is this war that is going on between the seed of the serpent and the seed of God. And it's an ongoing war that has been from near from the beginning. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the imprecatory Psalms that like, who are the enemies? Is that something we kind of talked about? Yeah. The enemy really, any God's enemies are the seeds of Satan. They're yeah. anyone who is not um, living for Christ. Anyone who's not accepted Christ's sacrifice for their sins um, is is against God. And so, I guess one thing is, it's not like you pray the imprecatory Psalms for anybody who does not claim Jesus. Like, right. that's not the case. Because um, I feel like they're not to be taken lightly. The imprecatory psalms are heavy and they're serious. Um, and we shouldn't just pray them like, oh, that person, you know, I don't like the way they were or something. And you just pray them. Um, and there can be really nice people who are seeds of Satan. There can be... Um, and there again, you wouldn't pray the imprecatory psalms for them. Like, if you have a neighbor... I thought of this in the middle of the night once... Um, if you have a neighbor who is, you know, Muslim or something like they might be nice, they might be a good neighbor to you, but they're lost. They don't know Christ. You wouldn't be praying the imprecatory Psalms for them. You would be praying for their salvation. Um, but in contrast, if you had a neighbor who was any religion, but not claiming Christ and they were, you know, making up false things about you. They were calling the police on you for no reason. They were um, trying to file lawsuits, claiming that you did things that they didn't. They were being um, accusatory and attacking you and making your life difficult unnecessarily and things that you were innocent of. That might be a case that you pray for their repentance and then depending on the severity of anguish that they would be causing, mm -hmm. then that might be a place for that type of right. prayer. But I mean, we don't, we don't it's lightly, extreme. we should not lightly pray the imprecatory prayers. Right. Just because someone's a non-believer. Right. You know, that's not, I don't, that's not what they're used for. Right. Because David, when he prays them, he is talking about, you know, day and night they're causing anguish and I can't sleep and they're, you know, it's terror. It's, he's extremely oppressed by what they're doing. Right. They're making life to where he can't hardly stay alive, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. It's dire. Yeah. And as Christians now, our, our desire and our prayer is to lead peaceable lives um, that are pleasing to the Lord. Um, and it seems that more and more as time goes on, it's getting harder to do that, mm -hmm. I think. 
Yeah. It's getting harder to do that. And, um, you know, one of the requirements for Christians, one of the things that we do is we meet together. We're called to be in physical fellowship with one another. We're not just, we're not supposed to just do virtual meet and greets. The body of Christ is truly supposed to assemble in a physical location and setting commemorating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ um, on Sundays, on, on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week. So we're called to do that. And as the state, whoever is in charge of, you know, making that call, which they don't constitutionally even have, that is, um, that is against leading a peaceable, quiet life in Christ so that we can assemble um, together. I mean, they don't have that. They don't have the ability to do that. They don't have the right to do that constitutionally. Um, we have the right to peaceably assemble. And, um, I, I, you know, in the last year, year and a half, we have seen some very overt, crazy demonstrations of people that are trying to subvert that. And it depends on what state you live in, of course. But um, the fact that it is happening here, it's definitely, it's happened overtly in Canada. Um, right now, Australia is facing this to a degree that it's just, I mean, the news won't even report it, but it's happening. Uh, and as Christians, we pray, we pray for, again, we pray for the salvation of those who do not know the Lord. Um, but at this point, for those that are trying to um, dissuade us and forbid us from meeting together, I, I don't think at all it's wrong of us to pray the imprecatory prayers that the Lord would remove people or silence the talk of foolish men. I think that those are things that we as Christians are called to pray for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And for their repentance. Yeah. But, well, that's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the right context. Right. Right. Okay. So God on the shelf. Is God on your shelf? I hope not. I mean, wait. Yeah, no. <laughs> Is okay, that good. a trick question? Good. Because we, we kind I of talked about not. this. So tell, okay, go into what is, what does that mean? Got on your shelf, got on the shelf, got uh, on the shelf, your shelf. I don't know. I just, I, I think I, did I randomly come up with that yes. one day? I think so I was in the kitchen with you. <laughs> I think I was in the kitchen with you and I said, you know, too many Christians. I think it's just a, it's really just a statement and then it's worthy of um, expounding upon, which is so many of us, including ourselves, I mean, you know, I'm not going to go into subjective stuff here, but I mean, it's easy for all of us as Christians, to place God on the shelf and put other things in front of God. And some of those things can be good things. It can be family. You know, we can, we're, we are called to love our families, but in relation to our love for Christ, um, Jesus uses that kind of uh, harsh way or harsh language of saying, if you don't hate father and mother because of your love for me, for your, because of, the love that you're supposed to have for Christ is supposed to be so much greater. You're not worthy to be called um, a member of the kingdom. You're not worthy to be a son or a daughter if we don't 
um, love God supremely with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that's not saying you're supposed to hate your mom and your dad, right? Well, that's like. what, no, no, that's <laughs> not what, yeah, that's not what Jesus meant. I mean, and they, okay, so then, explain that because yeah. that's kind of confusing. Yeah, well, because we are called to love one another with brotherly love and affection and things of that nature. The point is the, um, the, the amount that we're supposed to love God is so f- supposed to exceed that of our love for family members, spouse, or family, or or parent or child. That it's supposed to be that much greater, right? And like our loyalty would be to Christ. Our loyalty over. is ultimately to Christ over over um, over anyone or anything that would be a detriment to our walk with the Lord. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think okay, so. Yeah. But when, like, you Good. said that. Well, no, definitely, definitely uh, let me know if that's off. So, right. So we're supposed to love God supremely. So what is the idea with God on the shelf? Like, what do, what does that look like? How do we place God on a shelf? So Christians, all of us, well, many of us have Bibles. And we put our Bibles on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And they collect dust. And we read them once every day or once every few days or once every week and once every month. Or maybe we don't read them at all. And, and you know, God's word to us is too precious a thing to cast aside and to say, I can devote two or three hours to Netflix or whatever you have, Prime, Hulu, whatever. I can devote this time to the entertainment of the world or sports or even worthy endeavors. Even, you know, I got my kids soccer stuff. I got this. I got that. I've got all of these things in life to do, but I don't have time to meditate on the word day and night. We are putting God on the shelf. We're putting his word on the shelf, but I think there's even a a greater component to it. And that is we're putting um, our our, our life with the Lord on the shelf when we don't honor him in all things, not just, not just read his word. It's not mm-hmm. just about, you know, growing up, I think, I, you know, with various people, I, I remember, you know, morning devotions was like this thing, which it's good if you have morning devotions, I'm not knocking morning devotions, sure. but you know, we kind of take this me and Jesus time, me and coffee, me and, you know, I'm going to highlight and then I'm going to Instagram, put whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm not knocking it. But at the same time, it's bigger than just reading the word. God should not just be just the the word that we read in the morning and we set him aside. He is he is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere all at once, and he's he's with us and he's around all times. He's he's Lord of all. Um, now so it has implications. It has implications all of our life. for everything that we do, for the entertainment that we watch. We could be reading God's word in the morning, for instance, but then we could be watching porn with a story shows at night. Right. And, you know, we could be watching shows that are displeasing to him. We're putting God on the shelf by not honoring him with that time. We may set aside a personal devotion time or whatever, but then still not be um, honoring him or, or obeying him by the other entertainments and other things that we do in our life. It kind of goes back to there's nothing's neutral, right? The yes. Seed of Satan, seed of God. So everything is either for him or against him. Neutrality is a myth. Yeah. And we deceive ourselves to think, well, oh, that show or that thing or, you know, scrolling on that feed, that's not 
bad. That's not doing anything to pull me away from God. But truly, everything that we're intaking is either pulling us closer or further away. It's like what we talk about. We're, we're literally being catechized all day, every day by what we in, what we ingest. Explain just ca- catechizing. Explain, okay. explain that. So, and just correct me or add in. No, no, no go ahead. Just, I mean, but, just give me your basic definition of yeah. catechizing so, in case someone goes, what's catechizing? Because, right. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. We would have been like, I think we know. Sure. Or, you know. So catechisms are, at least like within the Christian faith, it's a question and answer. And it is breaking down basics about all, all aspects of life and theology to help you just easily understand um, so like, what is the chief end of man is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's question answer. Um, they have kid versions, they range, but like basically the idea of catechizing yourself or your children is so that those answers from the Bible are just your first response. They are like worked into you. So when you're going about your, your day, you know, like how, how do we know what's true? only from the word of God. Like those things, as you hear in conversations, pieces of the questions or the answers, it calls that to mind. It's becomes um, like first nature to you. Like that it's, it's in you, um, the word worked in. So, but even if we're not studying like a really great catechism that has reformed information in it, biblical information in it, we're catechizing ourselves with question and answer, with values, with truth or untruth, all the time with anything we're taking in. Like mm-hmm. we are, as a culture, being catechized by shows and entertainment and books and um, social media and news. I and mean, we're being catechized with what's good, what's evil, what's valuable, what's not valuable, how we should be spending our time, how we should look. Like the list goes on and on. All these things that we are ingesting, if we think that they're not having an impact on our soul, on our orientation, on our values, if we're oriented towards God or towards the world, we're deceiving ourselves. Like we are being catechized constantly. So that is part of the importance of reading the word. It's the source of truth that God has given us, but also being careful to think about what we're taking in. Like it's a principle right? In all of life, Mm -hmm. you reap what you sow. What if you're going to sow corn seeds, like you're going to get corn. If you're going to sow weeds, you're going to get weeds. Like that's, it's in the law of even our land. It's, it's everywhere. It's, um, true of physical things. It's true of spiritual things. It's true of things we can see and things we can't see. So we have to be catechizing ourselves as Christians constantly with God's word. And that kind of goes back to two. Um, did you start to say this? I think about <laughs> with putting God on the shelf, like it's an ongoing temptation mm-hmm. for us to do that. And when you read the new Testament, there are warnings everywhere about, um, well, what does it say in Joshua? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Mm-hmm. That's still applicable to us. That isn't, yeah. again, that's not an Old Testament thing that's just bygone. Yep. That's what we're called yeah. to do. And it's Exodus. To meditate on that. Exodus or Leviticus talks about um, how you should be reading the law continually. 
continually, always reading. Like, what are you reading in your Bible? You should always be reading something. Yeah. It should, it's like not a book that we ever close and put away. It's a book that we continually read our whole lives long. No matter how familiar we get, there's more to it. And we keep reading it and we keep reading it. Um, but in Hebrews, I was writing down some of the warnings specifically because like there are so many. Um, the warnings for what? The warnings to keep God's word central to our lives, um, to admonish one another daily, to go to church, like the safeguards that we have to not harden our hearts, to not be deceived by sin, to not fall away, to not be chasing after things of the world or, you know, taking the world along with Jesus and thinking that that somehow pleases him or is okay. Like we live in a culture that is um, opposed to God on so many levels. Um, and we slowly take that in. We become like what we worship, what we input, what we're around, what we see, what we ingest. So if we want to be godly, if we want to please the Lord, we have to be ingesting his truth and sharpening one another in that. Um, Therefore, we give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. That's Hebrews 2.1. Um, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Um, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, if. And then three different times in the beginning of Hebrews, it's, it quotes the Old Testament to say, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Um, chapter three, beware. Mm, I can't read my own writing. Brethren, uh -huh. lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And he's talking to believers. This is written to the church. Like, yeah. But this is for us. It's a constant temptation to harden our hearts. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You're supposed to exhort one another daily. Um, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Mm -hmm. um, Those are sober warnings too. They're totally sober you know, warnings. It's so, especially in America and this day and age, it's so easy just to go, I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I go to church kind of when I feel like it. I, you know, we have this sort of individuality, even a, even belief in this sort of salvation that kind of, it's really more about cheap grace than it is about costly discipleship. Like it's a one-time thing that happens. Yeah, it's like I got saved at this want. crusade in 1994 or whatever, and... I can kind of live how I want to. I can kind of do what I want to do. I can kind of... Well, this is even like a Sunday thing. Or, yeah, exactly. And, and then we can kind of separate... Yeah, exactly. We can act like God's God on Sunday, but then the other six days of the week, we can give in to our own temptations, lusts, at will, whenever we want, no repentance, nothing. Like, that's not the Christian life. Yeah. Spelled out in scripture. Yeah. I'm not... So these aren't my words. These are the words, right. you know, these are the words of the Lord. They did not enter... The promised land because of disobedience. 
Be diligent lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Let us hold fast our confession. Um, they have become dull of hearing. <laughs> um, for it is impossible for these, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Not like you sin and repent, but like if you reject Christ. Um, but if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Have the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So it's like all of, be careful, hold fast, beware, don't be hardened, sin is deceitful, don't neglect, be diligent. And then it talks about all that Christ is, like in the middle of, like, that's warnings up until like chapter six, and then seven, eight, nine is all about Christ as our perfect high priest, Christ as our mediator, Christ as our sacrifice, which is really cool to read Hebrews and Leviticus at the same time, because like <laughs> Leviticus goes through all of the sacrifices and what's required and, you know, lamb without blemish and kind of gives you that sacrificial system of why blood covers sin. It's the type and shadow. And then Christ is the perfect fulfillment of it. So yeah. it's really neat to see, but like it kind of takes a break from all the warnings to talk about, um, this central idea of who Christ is and who we're holding fast to. Um, and then I didn't get to finish, but in chapter 10, it talks about drawing near, holding fast, considering, um, and then do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, exhort one another. Um, and then for if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, which is again talking about becoming apostate. If we walk away from the Lord um, who's done all this for us. Yeah. So I'm sure there's probably some more warnings in the last three chapters too, but like... I'm just struck by how many times we're warned because we're constantly tempted to drift. Mm -hmm. Like the only words of life come from God, come from his word. Like, yeah, so we have to be extremely careful with what we take in. Yeah. We need a steady diet of it. It's also like man doesn't live by bread alone. Right. By well, every word of God. You mentioned neutrality and you said nothing's neutral. Mm -hmm. and, Which is not my idea. And we, I know. <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> right, somebody else. Bonson. Bonson, probably. Bonson, I think. But Take that that idea of there is no neutrality was uh, perfectly displayed in just even the movie we watched with our kids the other night, which was The Sound of Music, where I, I was sitting there watching it and I thought, you know, I mean, a lot of people in, you know... It's the sound of music. Like, surely there's nothing wrong with the sound of music. And overtly, there's not. Okay, I whatever. <laughs> I, you know, and some of the songs are catchy. I don't know and, where you're going. Well, where I'm going is what I was struck with was the the I, what what's her name Maria or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Her whole thing is now she's in the nunnery, so there's kind of this talk of faith or religion or whatever. Um, but the whole thing was climb every mountain. Forge every whatever, see. Essentially, it was this individual character who needed to garner and work up the courage, pull up her own bootstraps, and go out there and sort of conquer what she needed to do. There was no mention 
uh, of, you know, Christ, uh, the real Christ, or the Word of God, or relying on on God, or anything of that nature just at all. Be who you it was just be you. Being. It was yeah. this Walt Disney type of get out there and go get it your best because you can do it yourself kind of mentality. And that way in real life leads to death. That way in real life leads to ultimate destruction is doing it ourselves that we think we can do things by ourselves without the aid and the help of Christ in our life. Supremely. Um, We need him in all things. So just watching that and in taking that was kind of like, wow, there, there really is nothing neutral. Even this, very harmless family, which is a good movie. I mean, you know, whatever, if, however you want to look at good. Um, but it's still not neutral. It's still not neutral. It still had an o- an overarching point to it was making about humanity and about the self. So you said whatever you want to call good. Like, how do we mm-hmm. know well, what I mean is some people, what I mean specifically with that movie is some people will say, I love that movie. It's great. And other people will be like, oh my gosh, you watch The Sound of Music. You know, <laughs> like that. So if you right. want to call it good, whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean morally. I, I think that in one sense it's, I don't know if I want to go down that trail. But okay. Yeah. All that to say, I some think. Some of the underpinnings were very just humanistic. Is very humanistic, even in a movie where you would say, surely that movie's neutral, right? Or that story is neutral. And it's. So Ultimately not. If even something as like old and seemingly innocent yes. as the sound of music still has like basing, it's like still its base is not in the law of God, but is in... It's in man. In man. It's then, in man. Okay, so then what can we watch? What can we... Is it okay I'm, to watch okay, that? So, is it like... <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not, I don't think there's a... I don't think that we're prohibited from watching it, but I think this, and this is what we have seen in ourselves is the more we're catechizing ourselves with the word of God, with the truth, with at night, instead of watching movies or instead of, you know, ingesting the things of the world constantly, which, you know, we've, we've done for years before this, you know, and a lot of it was, most of it was harmless stuff you call harmless, but it was never completely harmless. None of it is completely harmless. Everything that we're ingesting, everything that we're intaking, all the social media that we're looking at, everything is having an effect on us. So either you can ingest things of the Lord and godly conversation with people, or you can invest in, you know, watching things that you could call neutral, but are, if anything, you know, the Bible talks about redeeming the time, Mm -hmm. not wasting our time. I think that all of us in America specifically have a propensity to do whatever with our time because it's ours. It's always been ours. It always will be ours. We, you know, we're our own people. We have our own houses and we can turn off the lights at night, turn on the projector or TV or whatever we have, and we can just watch whatever and do whatever. And one of the things that I know that we have really seen in our own life is that that's not wisdom. That's not wise to do. Um, I'm not Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Right. right. To be accounting for the hours, for the time. It's a resource that yeah. we've been given. So, so some things could be permissible to watch. And I'm not right. saying it's not. So the, the point I'm not making is, oh, well, don't watch anything or whatever. Not at all. It's just more of when you ingest the things of the Lord, 
truly the things of the earth really do start kind of tasting crappy. Yeah. You know, they, they really don't taste the same anymore. The entertainments that you have, they're not as entertaining. Or as C.S. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. Yeah. And we have been far too easily pleased as a culture, you know, going down the, you know, talk, talking about Hollywood and the movies that are produced out of there. Most of it is stupid crap. And not and as a Christian, I can say that. But you can just see from even the ratings on these things, the world itself looks at a lot of these movies and just go, this has been recanned, repackaged. This is an old story told 10 times. We're bored. The world is bored with the stories of the world. It's boring. Mm-hmm. Not only is a lot of it immoral and stupid, but it's boring. It's yeah. gotten boring for the world. The story that matters the most is the one you and I are living in. It's the one where Jesus is Lord of all right now, ruling and reigning, and is in our life. That is the most invigorating, exciting thing. That's what makes the word so good and so wonderful to read. It's not a burden. His commandments are not burdensome. They, when you start walking with Jesus and you, and it's this daily uh, type of communion with him and knowing him, the things of the world become boring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like the more we read the Bible, the more we see, the more it's like, um, it's enlightening. You know, it's awesome. And then you start noticing all these things throughout it that are consistent. And then you realize the more there is to it and the more you don't know. And then it's like, there's all these rabbit trails of things to study and to find out. And the Bible is so replete and so robust. Like it will take a lifetime to study it, to read it, to, and we still at the end of our lives won't have read it for all it's worth, but it takes that type of study and dedication and not in like a, like you said, not in a boring, like, Oh, I have to study it, but it's, it is alive and it does more and it brings more excitement, more joy, more truth, more satisfaction than anything the world has to offer. And that shouldn't be a surprise because if the Bible is the God who made us, right? If the Bible is boring, it's not the Bible's fault. It's ours. It's, it's, it's our problem. If the, if the Bible has become boring and the Christian life or whatever is trite or, you know, mundane, it, 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 that's our sin. That's our fault. Okay. So talking about sin, Uh Just talk about repentance. So like we are obviously when we, when we're saved, it's because the Lord has drawn us to himself. He's shown us our sinful state and how desperate we are to, um, have his mercy to be reconciled to him. So we repent and we call in the name of the Lord for salvation. Um, Christ died once for all who call on him. So, we repent then. Mm-hmm. Is that enough? Do we? Yes. We never need to repent again. <laughs> yeah, that's the no. wrong answer. <laughs> no. Uh, wrong answers only. Um, no, it's an ongoing daily repentance. Because we're justified once for all. Yes. But yes. then even though we're saved and we're forgiven, mm-hmm. we still continue to sin. We do. Yes. And the Lord even told us in the Lord's Prayer that one of the things that we pray when we pray, which... You know, is um, 
to forgive us of our sins, to forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who sins, sin against us. First mm-hmm. uh, John 1, 9, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. It is absolutely a, con- you know, and, and should we continue in sin so that grace may abound, you know, Romans? No, may it never be. We should be adamantly confessing the sins of omission and the sins of commission in our life mm-hmm. as often as we know that we commit them and probably daily. We should, you know, there's even times where that's where the sins of omission come in and we say, Lord, if there's sins in which we have committed um, that we don't actually know, there, you know, there's these sins of omission, forgive us of our sins, of all of our sins. We're very prone to sin. Um, but, and, and repentance is a guard against sin, right? Because yeah. it's humbling ourselves. It's confessing our need for Christ. Again, we need him constantly, continually. Our life is hid in Christ. So it's a turning from sin and it keeps our hearts soft. Yeah. Someone once told me that repentance is a gift. And when he, it was kind of like lightning in the sky that struck when he said it. Because I thought, that's, I, I never thought about repentance as a gift before. But it's clearly a gift from God that if we are repenting and we're daily repenting. And we're being drawn to repent. And we're being right? drawn. feeling convicted. Mm-hmm. That's a gift. Yeah. That's a gift from God himself for us to constantly go, ah, I see my sin. I know it's just, it's terrible. But I know that I have someone, I know that he can forgive me for these sins and that I can go to him and he can wash me clean. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I love that our church praise. And I think it's a little different every week, but we have in the beginning of service towards the beginning, we, um, confess sin corporately. And so this is like the part, I'll read you a little part that the pastor prays. And then we all as a congregation pray the second part. Um, Almighty God, our maker and redeemer, we poor sinners confess to you that we are by nature sinful and unclean and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Therefore, we flee for refuge to our to your boundless mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone together prays, O most merciful God, since you have given your one and only son to die for me, have mercy on me and for his sake, Grant me forgiveness for all my sins, and by your Holy Spirit, increase in me true knowledge of you and your will and true obedience to your word, so that by your grace, I may come to everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yeah. We need his help. We need his help to live the Christian life, and we need um, his help to show us what true obedience to his word is. Yeah. We also have to be reading his word to know. And we need to be in community. We need to we need to be with people that are doing the same thing mm-hmm. and are and are sharing our struggles and we're lifting one another up. And we're talking about these things in yeah. life and how the word of God comes to bear on every aspect of life. Yeah. I feel like that's also a lifelong pursuit of seeking that that wisdom, asking the Lord and reading the word and talking to believers. Yeah. I also think we should read Psalm nineteen. It's the one I just read to you. Psalm 19? Yeah. It's amazing. It's kind of broken up into three parts. Are you talking about Psalm too. 37 that you just read to me? No. Or is this a different no. one? <laughs> Psalm 37 is really good, but Psalm we'll have to say that. Psalm 37 is amazing. Okay. So, oh, yeah. You want me to read it and then you, yeah. then you talk about it? All right. So Psalm 19 says, 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Okay, I love everything about that. And I feel like it's kind of three different pieces, three Mm -hmm. different parts. So verses 1 up until 6, we're talking about the heavens declaring God's glory, speaking out uh, day to day, night to night. And even with the rising of the sun, it made me think of Romans 1, where it's God has made it evident that he exists through what he's created. Like every single day, the heavens are declaring what we're seeing with night and day and the sun moving from one into this of the sky to the other. Um, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, where what the heavens are declaring of his majesty um, is known everywhere. It's known everywhere. Um, so that's just like amazing. And then the next part about the law of God being perfect, right, true, um, trustworthy, everything about his statutes, his commandments, his judgments is is right and good. Um, and also, they're a warning. They're a warning. God's word is given to us as a warning for how we ought to live um, and that we need to keep them. And if we keep them, there's a reward. And then the last part is about confessing sin. And most of the sin he's talking about is sin that he's not aware of. Um, I believe this is David that wrote this psalm. So from secret sin, from sin that's inside that he can't even see, he wants the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart to be pleasing to God. Even the secret things that don't necessarily, some that do come out, but some that even don't. Um, so that's also, that's for us. It's mm-hmm. for us to learn from the warning and for us to learn from the confession and the declaration of God from creation and from his word. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord, 
but he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.